How are you today? You good? Good, good, good. Great to see everyone today. Excited to be here. That's what, yes. <laughs> I was hoping, you know, maybe get some theme music or something, you know, like, you know, when the, when the fighter comes out with the entourage or whatever, we can start that, but that'll do, that'll do. I'm just playing. Uh, great to be here today. I hope you are doing wonderful. God bless. Uh, each and every one of you. My name is Joel. My wife Jennifer and I are the founding pastors here. And uh, if we haven't had a chance to meet you, we'd love to meet you and get to know you. Uh, thank you so much for being a part. And thank you for those of you that have recently gone through our Align class. Align is our membership class. And we've had just a, a tons of new families coming through and joining the church. Thank you. Welcome. We're so glad you're here. And if you haven't gone through that, that is uh, your next step. Uh, but we're excited today. I'm going to pray. We're going to jump right into this. You ready? Okay, Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your goodness, for your mercy. Father, we're here to receive from you. God, we've worshiped you, we've given to you, and we want to hear from you. Would you speak to us today? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we've been in the middle of a series called Family Matters. Uh, all of us have family and our family matters. And we have matters inside of our family that we have to deal with. Uh, each and every one of us, we know that we don't just have our natural family. We have a God family. Uh, Jesus was the very first one to teach about a heavenly father. All through the Old Testament, God had all of these different names, El Shaddai and Elohim and all these different words that describe this mighty God, a God of armies, a powerful God, a creator of all, all these different names. Well, when Jesus shows up as the son of God, as God in the flesh, he begins to describe God as a loving, nurturing father. And story after story, illustration after illustration, we see this loving, nurturing God who is our heavenly father, who we can come to who we have access to. And we see illustrations through scripture of the Holy Spirit being seen almost as a mothering type spirit. Uh, Jesus is the brother, right? He's our big brother. But we also see the picture of the church being uh, the mother on earth and Jesus being the groom. So we have the bride and the groom and the job of the church is to be a family that loves and nurtures and draws people together. That's who we are and that's what we are. We're not a country club. We're not a country club, right? This isn't a social club. This isn't a place to come and use the church just to get new business leads. That's not what this is about. This is about us coming together, recognizing that there's something inside of me that I'm a part of this family that I have to give and share to enrich this place and the people around me. And there are other people that are in this church that have something inside of them that they're gonna make me better and I'm gonna make them better. And in this together, we're better together, amen? That's what the family of God is all about. And today we're gonna talk specifically about parenting, now, I know that not all of you are parents. Don't check out, though, because parenting is leadership. Parenting is leadership. And when we see a picture of God the Father, a heavenly parent, and we recognize that the way God leads us and the, God, the way God cultivates us, and he's asked us to follow his example and to lead others, uh, Jesus Christ is our example. We have the ability and we have even the mandate to take a position in the earth as someone that is looking to invest in other people, to raise other people up. The Bible says that all of us are given this great commission to go into all the world, to preach the gospel, and to make disciples. Every single one of us. This is the statement. Every believer is a leader, period. 
So anything that works uh, when you're raising up children works when you're dealing with staff. It's the same basic principles. It's leadership principles. Lots of different things that are important to recognize and understand in that. And for, 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 for me, uh, there was no book you could read to prepare you for being an actual parent. Uh, in the same way that I made lots of mistakes leading a company, I made lots of mistakes trying to disciple other people. Uh, I made lots of mistakes in, in, in lots of different ways. When God gives you a child, sometimes he gives you the child that you need to make you grow, right? He'll give you the kid that you need to make you grow. Uh, the Bible actually said that part of the, the, the curse of the fall was that Eve would be saved through childbearing. That's wild to think that your children have a part to play in you walking out your salvation experience. Uh, but your kids will make you pray. They will make you seek the Lord, right? Your, your employees in the same way, your team members on your staff, interacting with people, there's a role and a position that we play and each of us are called to be a leader. Amen. So when God gave us uh, Sydney, he gave us a very interesting young lady. Sydney is strong. She's our 19 year old. She's the one we just dropped off at college. Um, we're so excited and proud. People are asking, did you cry? Did you cry? And, and we didn't, we didn't cry. And the reason is we watched our little adult step into a new life and just bloom instantly. I mean, first night she's grabbing her guitar. She's got a little group of brand new friends. They're sitting in the commons co-ed area and there's now they're playing worship. And the next night they're doing worship again. And, and we're sitting there watching. We're like, we got to get out of here and just let God do. We, we, we have work. Jennifer and I are high five and one to go, you know, uh, and we get to be empty nesters or, or whatever. And it's, I miss my daughter like crazy. I want to text her all the time. I want to call her. I'm like, how's it going? What's the deal? Who's the guy? You know, whatever. I mean, I'm really interested about who this guy is. You know, I want to know him, you know, or whatever. If there's a guy yet, I don't know. But hey, listen, the MRS degree is when you go to a, to a Christian college, it's the MRS degree, right? You got it. I'm just playing around. Um, but, but that's, that's the joke. That's the joke. But when you understand that we've got a strong young adult now, but when she was a three-year-old, she was a lot to handle. And, and I'm talking, I'm talking like Sydney wasn't the kid that would cry when she got hurt. Sydney was the kid that would get mad when she got hurt. I remember her hitting her head at the house one day on a coffee table and she was like, ah, mad. And she went in the closet and slammed the door. Ah, she, and I'm like trying to check on her. She's got a giant goose egg, no tears, just mad, right? And I'm like, what the heck are we dealing with with this kid? I mean, it's just a different type of kid, right? And we're at Cheesecake Factory. And, and the thing with Sydney was if you told her no, she would go like this. And if you threatened her with a spanking, boy, it was nuclear. It was on then, right? And I'm talking, I'm in Cheesecake Factory. My parents are there. She's throwing a fit. Man, people around us are looking at us like we're the worst parents in the world, right? And it's just, this is our first toddler we've ever had. And we, we get home and, and the family goes in the house and I sat in the car and cried. Because I was so overwhelmed, you know, with, with this three-year-old and the strong personality. And I'm sitting there going, my God, you got to help me. She's so stubborn. And the Lord said to me instantly, he goes, now you know how I feel dealing with you. 
And I'm like, no, she got this from Jennifer. <laughs> no, but the Lord, the Lord is like, Joel, she's a leader. I gave you a leader. Don't break her spirit. Teach her how to lead. And from that moment on, I began to watch her. And as she was four and as she was five, she's on the playground doing follow the leader. And she would just take off a different direction. I'm like, Sydney, the kids are going that way. She's like, I'm the leader. She just decided, I'm the leader. We're going this way. I'm like, but none of them are following. Get in the game, right? But she just had this tenacity in her. So the Lord had to give me a strategy. And the strategy that he gave me was a leadership strategy. So now I'm talking to a three-year-old. And instead of her t me telling her no, and instead of me trying to give this heavy hand and I'm the butt, do what I say and all this kind of whatever, I began to say this. This is the strategy the Lord gave me. Okay, Sydney, you're the leader. You're the boss. You get to choose what we do. Here's choice A. If you choose choice A, we do this and we have fun and we go to the park and we get ice cream and we all these different things. This is choice A. Now here's choice B. If you choose choice B, now you're the leader, remember, you get to choose. You choose choice B. Here's what happens. We actually stay home and you get to be in your room all day and we're not going to go to the park and we're not going to get ice cream and all this. You're the boss. You're the leader. You get to choose which one sounds better to you. She's like, A. I'm like, oh, you're so smart. You are such a good leader. What a great, what a great decision. You're so wise. That's how I parented Sydney. And all of a sudden, Sydney becomes this very independent young lady. She doesn't let other people's opinions uh, uh, mess with her. She's very strong-minded and willed, and she knows exactly what she wants to go do. And I'm super proud of her. And it's not, it's, it's what God made her to be. And what Jennifer and I had to learn is how do we parent a kid like this? Because our other kid was different. Blakely was just like, yes, daddy, anything, daddy, yes, daddy. I mean, very compliant, very easy. Uh, now, she wouldn't ever say she was sorry. That was the thing with Blakely. She would, if she was wrong, she was like, and she would never say sorry. Uh, but besides that, she would just, she was just easy. Sydney was just strong, right? Different personality. And that doesn't make one better than the other. But the thing is, as parents, we had to learn how to lead this little human that God gave us. And guess what? Your employees will be like that. Team members that you lead will be like that. Other relationships. When you're with your friends, you're either a leader or a follower. You're either the influence or the influenced, right? And it's important to recognize that all of us have a responsibility. Every believer is a leader. You're called to it. So parenting is leadership. Now, I'm going to read a quote to you. This is one of my favorite leadership quotes. Um, and I'm going to read this in faith that the spirit of Tom Landry will land upon our current Dallas Cowboys and somehow, some way, they will have a winning season and get past the second and third and even the fourth play. I mean, if we can just, anyway, praise God. Here we go. Jesus, help them. Tom Landry said it like this, and this always stuck in my mind. Leadership is getting someone to do what they don't want to do to achieve what they do do want to achieve. Tom Landry would tell stories of he's dealing with 300 pound grown men who say they want to win a championship, but they don't want to do what it takes. They say they want to go win. They say they want to accomplish this, but they don't want to do these basic things. And so what he learned is if I can find a way to convince them to do what they don't want to do, then they can actually accomplish what they do want to accomplish. And oftentimes that's how it is 
as a parent, as a boss, as a manager, you have to find a way to inspire people, to empower people, to persuade people. Watch this. Uh, Parenting is coaching. Parenting is mentoring. Parenting is personal development. You're developing the gifts in people. Parenting is being a talent scout. Finding and recognizing the talents that you have inside of your children and then cultivating those things. Parenting is sales. You gotta, sometimes you gotta sell that kid on this idea that's best for them. Parenting is persuasion. Now watch this. This is Proverbs 16, verse 21. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna contrast something in just a moment. The wise in heart will be called understanding and sweet speech increases persuasiveness and learning in both speaker and listener. This is the amplified version of the verse. Sweet speech increases persuasiveness and learning. Proverbs 16, 23, just a couple verses later, says the heart of the wise instructs his mouth in wisdom and adds persuasiveness to his lips. Now, in our world, we have all experienced toxic leadership. We've all experienced manipulation. Manipulation is when I talk you into doing something that I want you to do to achieve what I want to achieve. Manipulation is selfish. I don't care about what happens to you. This is what's best for me. So I'm going to manipulate you. I'm going to sell you. I'm going to persuade you for my benefit. Leadership, what we just looked at with Tom Landry, is persuading people to do what they don't want to necessarily do because it's hard or it's whatever to accomplish what they want to accomplish. It's in their best interest. So one of them is for the benefit of the other person. The other is for the benefit of self. One of them has strings attached and it's all about me. The other is releasing them into the freedom to accomplish what they want to accomplish. Persuasion is a good thing. And what this Bible verse talks about is sweet speech, sweet lips are persuasive. I tell my wife all the time, baby, if you talk to me sweet, I'll do almost anything you want me to do. Just, I mean, talk sweet, girl. I, I mean, we've, we've had to learn this. We've had to practice. I mentioned this last week. Man, we talk to each other now after 28 years of marriage next month. We talk to each other like we're from the Carolinas. We're like, listen, love, darling, can, whatever you want, darling. How can I serve you? I mean, we are so syrupy, sweet. Everything is love and baby and all that kind of stuff. And we got a lot of making up to because we used to talk real mean to each other. And sometimes we have bad days, amen? Sometimes people have bad days. But it's something we work on a lot. And the sweeter we are to each other, the more persuasive we are, that the more easily we get along and we find ourselves serving each other and we have a great relationship. It's the same way with your kids. The way you talk to them is important. The sweetness in your speech, the persuasiveness in your speech. It's the same thing with the team. If you're leading a team, right? The way you speak to people, you either make them come alive or you crush them. And I've seen this in business. I'll share a story in just a little bit about this. But I want you to recognize that as a leader, the number one method, the number one most effective way to lead is to lead by example. Oh, every one of us had someone in our life at some point in time that said, do what I say, not what I 
do. The worst leadership ever, right? I know I'm not going to do it, but you do it. Listen, if you're going to hire a fitness coach, are you going to hire a fit fitness coach? I'm just asking. If you're going to hire a financial advisor, are you going to hire a wealthy financial advisor? Are you want a, do you really want a broke financial advisor? Right? You understand? So it's example. I want to follow someone that inspires me, that shows me the right example. And as parents, as bosses, as managers, the example that you set is massively important. You've probably heard it said, more is caught than taught. People pick up on things. Most people are either visual or kinetic learners. It's very rare to have someone that is an auditory learner. They can hear something and learn it. It's a different learning type. Most people are visual or kinetic. They got to feel it and touch it. And as a teacher, as someone that encourages and tries to help people to learn, if you can be auditory, visual, and kinetic, then you can really help people retrieve or, or, or receive and retain information at a high level. But modeling is important. Did you ever have something that you, because again, I, I have amazing parents. They're incredible. They're not perfect though. And every single one of us, there are certain things about our parents that you probably said, yeah, I, when I'm a parent, I don't want to do like that or I don't want to be. But sometimes now you see yourself at your 35 or your 45 and you hear yourself saying or doing the thing that your parents used to do. Anybody ever had that experience? My dad, Ken Scribner, would always tell me everything twice. And, and, and it would be two different ways, but he'd say the exact same thing to me twice. Hey, I need you to take out the trash. And in a little bit, make sure the trash goes out. I mean, it didn't matter what he was talking about. It was twice. And as I became a teenager, I'm like, why is everything twice? Well, because I had a thick head, he wanted to make sure it got in there, right? That's probably what it was. But that was one of the things that used to drive me crazy. But I find myself doing it constantly. And I've had people go, hey, Joe, why do you always tell me things twice? I'm like, I don't know. Yes, I do right? We become like our parents some ways because we watch things and we pick them up. And sometimes they could be things that we shouldn't have picked up, right? And as parents, we have to look at our lives and we got to make sure that we're modeling things. You ever accidentally cuss in front of a toddler? I'm not proud of this. Um, Blakely was about four, and uh, I used to be an expert eBay shopper. I was the best. No one could beat me. I had a strategy. I will not share it with you. I'm just kidding. I will. Uh, but I was in the middle. My strategy was that I would find something, let's say it was a pair of shoes for Jennifer or whatever, the exact one she'd wanted. I'd shopped them around. This is, these shoes are $75. The current bid is $8.95. And I would set alarms in my calendar for the last minute of the auction. And now it's at $14.82 or whatever. And I would, with my alarm, I would sit and I would watch it count down. If I knew the shoes were worth $75, with 15 seconds left, I would put in a $50 bid because if I got it for 50, I still won. But it's at 14, not 82. And with 15 seconds, I had the auto bid set. 
So where I would put a $50 bid and it would auto and I would break out of, the, of somebody else's highest bid because you always had to put a high bid in and I would win every time. Every time. I was incredible at it. And I would get great deals. And this one time I'm sitting on the patio and I've got this and it's literally, I'm watching it count down 18, 17, 16. And Blakely goes, hey, daddy, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, hey, baby, uh, this, that, and the other and whatever. And, and it ended. And I said something. I said like, shoot or darn, one of the really bad ones. And, and I, you know, it just came out. This is, listen, this is years ago, y'all. I don't ever struggle with ever saying something wrong. And when I step on a Lego in the house, I start praying in tongues, just holy worship just comes out. When I stub just my pinky toe and bend it all the way back sideways, it's always holiness because I'm just so holy. Right? Sometimes stuff happens, right? I mean, sometimes stuff happens. We're not, we, oh my gosh, stuff to work on too, okay? Uh, it, but, but she instantly, instantly says the word, like, proud. And I'm like, oh, her first bad word from Pastor Joel, awesome. And then I'm like, no, hey, we're going to say, and I kind of grabbed another word that rhymed, and we're going to say this word and that word and never tell our mom about this ever because that would be bad if you're four and using, yeah, praise the Lord. I repented, guys. Stop judging me. Stop looking at me like that. But we, we, listen, parents, we got to work on this. We got to work on this. I remember being on a missions trip in Washington, D.C. <laughs> Any city that needs Jesus, D.C. Well, we were across the Anacostia River. If you don't know what that means, it means we were in the worst, worst, worst part of any neighborhood, any ghetto that you could have ever imagined. I've never seen anything like this in my life. It was terrifying to be in. It, it, felt, it felt like you were in danger at every given second. And we happened, in fact, when I took, when I went to this uh, neighborhood, the, the missions group went over earlier. I was staying in downtown and I'm walking around with Sid. Sid was maybe 11, 10, something like that. And, and I just, we just jump on the Metro. I saw the address. Oh, the Metro goes right there. Jump on the Metro. I get over there. And by the time we get over there, I realize people are looking at me on the subway and they're scared for me. And I don't understand. I'm looking around and I'm, I'm like, what the heck? Why do they act like they're, they're scared? They're looking at me like, you, you should not be here. You, you should not be here. And your little daughter should not be here. This is, I mean, it was weird. And I'm, I'm like, why are these people afraid of me? And then I'm looking at other people and they're like licking their lips. Like I'm, I'm a meal ticket. I'm like, what is going on? What did I do? And I get off the, the, the train and I, I call the mission headquarters and the mission headquarters, they're like, you did what? You're where? Oh my God, don't, are you out of your mind? Stay where you are. Stay, stay where you are right now. We're on our way. We're on our way. And, and I'm, I had no idea what I'd done, but it was a very, very, very dangerous neighborhood. Very dangerous. One of the most hopeless places I've ever been, two miles from our, from our nation's capital. Horrible, horrible. Massive wealth here, two miles over, the most dangerous place I'd ever been in my life. And, and, and when I got there, they're like, listen, no, you, we don't, we only come here for mission. We do it just this way. This is not, and everyone that I ever talked to about that, that knew the region is like, no, you drive around that. You don't go through there. It is unbelievably dangerous. Cops won't even go in there. And, and so in that place, I saw five-year-olds fist fighting, cussing each other out like grown prison inmates in a movie. And I'm like, what the heck or who, how do they possibly learn this behavior? And then I hear their mom from the patio yelling at them with the same exact language. Sad, very sad. We pick up things 
And it's massively important as leaders that we model the right things. We cannot expect the people that we lead to carry themselves at a higher level than we exemplify ourselves. Paul said it like this, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. Paul's like, I'm not perfect, I'm following Christ. But follow me as I follow him because I'm a work in process. Uh, guys, I'm, I'm not perfect at all, but I try. I am following Christ. I'm doing the best I can and I mess up sometimes. The number one thing, can I tell you the number one secret of my life? I repent fast. I repent fast. I, I apologize fast and I get right back up. I don't stay down. I don't stay down. That's the number one thing. I'm gonna, the Bible says, though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. The connotation from theologians is seven times in the same way in the same day. Listen, that's a bad day. But he rises again. We are not perfect people. We're people that get up, say we're sorry, repent, and try to do better. Amen? First Timothy 4, 12, Paul is teaching Timothy, his spiritual son, who is a young man, leading older people. So he's leading up. And Timothy says, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in your conduct, in your love, in your faith, and in your purity. Those are five amazing categories to try every day to be an example. I'm going to be an example in my speech. Whoa. Sometimes that's hard, isn't it? Am I the only one that says things I shouldn't? You just think them. <laughs> I had something happen the other day, and, and uh, I can't remember exactly what it was, but like, I got hurt, like, like something like flipped back and hit me in the head or whatever, and I was standing next to somebody, and, uh, <laughs> and I, said, I said, I didn't even cuss. And they go to the church, they laughed, and they said, but you thought it, didn't you? I'm like, mm, yeah, I thought it. <laughs> didn't say it, though. That's a little victory, Right? Be an example in speech. Be an example with your conduct. Be an example with how you love people. Guys, that's the biggest thing. The biggest, how do you love people? How do you make people feel loved? How do you make people feel loved when they're wrong? How do you make people feel loved when they don't treat you the way you want to be treated? How do you make people feel loved when they don't serve you the way you want to be served? How do you make people feel loved when, when, when they're actually doing something that hurts you? How do you make them feel loved? It's hard. Jesus says, what, what good is it if you only love the people that are easy? We got to learn how to love the hard ones. Be an example in your faith. Everything hits the fan. Everything's going wrong but you stand up in faith. Be an example in your faith. No, here's what's gonna work and here God is with us and we're not, and be an example in your purity. We live in a dirty, dirty world. We, we can't allow the world to taint us. We need to be the example in purity as well. Amen? Amen. Next step, see potential. Great parents, great leaders, they see potential in people. They see potential. Like I said earlier, they're talent scouts. Talent scouts. I got a couple illustrations that the Lord gave me. The number one, and just, a, just a parent that saw potential was Mary, the mother of Jesus. Do you remember when um, they lost Jesus? Do you remember the story? He's 12 years old. 
He's about to have his bar mitzvah. He's about to be a, a, a full-grown man. At 13, you had a bar mitzvah. That means son of the covenant. If you're a female, a bat mitzvah, daughter of the covenant. What that meant was you're now an adult in God's eyes and you're responsible for the entire law and you don't get saved based on your faith of your parents any longer. You have made a rite of passage and you are responsible to God as a young man at 13. A young woman at 13. One of the biggest problems that we have, y'all, is we treat our young men and young women like they're still babies. And then they go all the way through. They come out high school. They come out college. And they still act like babies because we never made them grow up. We We never treated them. We never trained them to be a man, trained them to be a woman expected them to be a young woman, expected them to be a young man. You're not a kid, you're not a baby no more. You're not a kid no more. Step up, grow up. 13, come on, be a man, be a woman. Man, you look back in history, you look back 150 years in history, 200 years in history, there were 15-year-old captains of Navy vessels. The world has been turned upside down by teenage adults who believed in the call of God in life, believed in the power of God. Theologians believe that most of the disciples who turned the whole world upside down were under the age of 25. Teenagers, most of them. I remember being 23 years old and running a business and trying to sell a $300 membership or whatever in this business that I was an owner in and had an adult say, "Uh, do you know how much $300 is? And I'm like, uh, yeah, I've been married for two years. I know how much $300 is. I'm a grown man. But I'm a, to them, I was a college kid. Now I'm a grown man. I've been running a business for seven years. What are you talking about? I started my business in high school. I'm a man. We got to expect our kids to grow up and be mature. Quit cutting the crust off of their white bread peep. BJ sandwiches for crying out loud. They can cut it themselves. Quit picking up their room for them. Sorry, I get rowdy sometimes. Raise up men and women, godly men and women. That's our goal. Searching for Jesus. Luke 2, 46, after three days, three days. You ever lost a kid in the store? Lost him in the mall. Oh my God. It's terrifying, right? You're freaking out. You're running around. You're losing your mind. They're hiding inside of a clothing rack. Have no idea that you literally have lost your Jesus and already called 911 and the SWAT team is coming and, uh, you know, abduction, whatever's are happening. And it, I mean, that's, that's Joseph and Mary. <laughs> Imagine losing your kid for three days. I mean, they are freaking out, right? They're freaking out. And it says, after three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. He was 12, 12, blowing the the most educated people in Israel's minds at 12. It was God in the flesh. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you three days. And his response, why are you searching for me? 
Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house or another translation, I had to be about my father's business. Jesus was saying, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a man. I, I'm, I'm a man, I'm about my father's house. But they didn't understand what he was saying to them. Then watch this, he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. Jesus, even though he was feeling himself at 12, recognizing the calling of God on his life, recognizing who he was and what the father God had called him to be and he had to be about his father's business, he still obeyed his parents. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. She treasured in his heart. She recognized, she saw potential. She, it blew her mind what she was seeing. This is my baby boy who's now a man blowing the minds of the smartest men in our world. She treasured in her heart. Rebecca, Rebecca was uh, the mother of Jacob and Esau. And when she was pregnant, you have to remember this is thousands of years ago. She had a tremendous amount of struggle going on. If you've ever been pregnant, I have not. Um, but I hear tell that sometimes the babies kick a little bit, right? You feel a little discomfort. Well, Rebecca doesn't know what's going on and she's having a major situation and she prays to the Lord and asks, Genesis 25, 23, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. She didn't know she had twins. They didn't have sonograms. They didn't have any way to figure that stuff out. Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. God gave her a prophetic word about twins inside of her that one would come out first. And when he came out, the Bible says he was covered in a red coat of hair like a hairy little baby orangutan coming out. I mean, I mean and, and it was red hair, so they called him Esau. You know, so Esau means hairy, um, but he was also red. And so his name means hairy, red hairy, little hairy little monkey ape creature thing, right? Now, I think baby orangutans are the cutest baby animals of all, so he probably was still pretty cute, but they, when they grow up, not so much, you know? So, but the second baby that comes out, no hair, good looking, Tan skin, probably looks like Josh Dufresne, a worship leader, just good looking and tan and lean, mean, you know, just a different, I mean, just different baby, man. And, and the mama was the only one that knew the prophecy that the big hairy one was gonna serve the smaller, thinner, sleek, good looking one, right? Bible says that the hairy one became a man of the outdoors and his father favored him because he was a great hunter and he was skilled at war and all that kind of stuff. Jacob, it says, was a man about the tents. He was a businessman. He liked the family business. He liked working with the flocks and the herds and the numbers and the, and the wealth and banking and whatnot, all that kind of stuff. Who knows? He was a businessman about the house and Rebecca was the only one that knew what God had said. So she treasured that in her heart. We see later Israel, Jacob would grow up, become Israel. And Israel now has four wives. Don't recommend that at all. He's got 12 children. Joseph is his favorite. He gives Joseph a coat of many colors. All the other brothers are jealous and hate him because Joseph was born to the favorite wife. This is a mess. And 
Joseph starts having these dreams. He's got this talent. He's got this potential. He's seeing things different. He's looking at the world different. He's having these dreams. He's telling his brothers these dreams. And his dreams, he would have his brothers bowing down to him and serving him. He would have his father and mother bowing down to him. And so he tells the story. And Isaac says to him in Genesis 37, 10, So he told his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come and bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him. Another translation says they hated him all the more. But his father kept the matter in mind. Kept the matter in mind. A a great parent sees and recognizes potential and maybe doesn't know exactly what to do about it yet, but they see it and they recognize it. There's something there. My mother told me every day of my life growing up, I named you after two prophets, Joel and Nathaniel. Don't you go talk about my middle name either. Don't you keep that to yourself. Joel and Nathaniel, I named you after two prophets. Joel means declarer of God. Nathaniel means the gift of God. I told Jennifer that was the gift of God. That's how I got her. But, but, but all my life, you're called the ministry. You're going to do mighty things for God. My whole life, she saw the potential. She spoke to the potential. She wouldn't let me escape the potential. I ran as hard as I could from that. But she saw it and she spoke to it and she cultivated it. And in the end, I couldn't outrun it. Come on, parents, you have power. In your words, you have have power in your declarations. You have power in seeing and declaring and calling out the great things that are in your kids. It's the same thing for bosses. It's the same thing for managers. You have the power to see great things and to call great things out in people. To cultivate, it's a responsibility. I got to tell you, in in my, my coaching business, one of the greatest things that I ever did was learn how to take the gift of prophecy and and translate it into a business environment. And I would tell people things that was God speaking to them and they didn't know it. I didn't have to be churchy. I didn't have to be, thus saith the Lord God of heaven. (laughs) I learned to be crafty. And I learned to say, hey, I have a special gift. My gift is to see greatness in other people. Can I tell you what I see in you? You know how many people said yes? All of them. And then undercover Pastor Joel in a business begins to say, man, I just really see this in you. And I feel like in your childhood, you went through this, this, and this. And all of a sudden, I got a business person crying at a board meeting in front of all the other people. And I'm like, don't worry, you're next. And I'm literally, and I'm just telling them, I'm like reading their mail, telling them what I see in them, telling the greatness. And you went through this, but it wasn't for naught because there's something special that you're supposed to do. And here's the gift that's inside of you. And this is what you bring to the table. And boom, boom. And I'm telling you, powerful. What as a leader... A parent, a boss, a manager, a consultant, a whatever, a coach. You have the ability to see and to speak to and to draw out the greatness in people. Why do you think God always changed people's names? In scripture, you see that? Constantly changed people's names. Simon, Jesus changed his name to Peter. Saul's name was changed to Paul. Abram's name was changed to Abraham. 
God sees things. We limit, humans limit themselves. We limit ourselves and we create a box for ourselves. And God says, "Uh, uh, uh-uh-uh, I'm breaking that box. I'm changing your name. I'm calling you something different. Do you know what the definition of the word name is? The word name means character and authority. Character and authority. So don't go name your kids some name that means demon in some other language, right? I mean, that's not a, that's a bad, you should pray about what you name your kids. You should, you maybe should pray about what you name your dog. What you speak over things is powerful, right? It's powerful. You're made in God's image. You're a talent scout. Another thing that we heard growing up that wasn't necessarily true was you can be anything you want to be. My dad said it differently. He, never, he didn't say it that way. He'd say, you can accomplish anything you set your mind to. It's powerful. But the reality is, if I had decided I, I wanted to be an NBA player, there ain't no way. Because I didn't have the talent for that. So what my parents did is they watched for talent, and then they spoke to that talent. And they would say, if this is what you want, you can accomplish this. You, you see the talent in people. Oh, I tried everything I could to get Sydney to be an athlete because I relate to athlete. That was my whole life was being an athlete. I know I don't look like it so much anymore. There is an athlete in here somewhere. It's coming back in my 50s. I'm going to be the great athlete all over again in Jesus' name. We tried soccer. Uh-uh. We tried softball. Jennifer and I were like, eh, eh, 800 degrees all summer long. Forget that. Maybe if we lived in California, not here, crying out loud, it's miserable out there. Some of you baseball and softball parents, you guys are nuts. I don't know how you do it. Let's try an indoor sport. That's what we did next, volleyball. She played volleyball for a few years, but at the end of the day, athletics wasn't her thing. And all of a sudden, she picks up a ukulele on vacation. Starts teaching herself how to play an instrument watching YouTube videos. Next thing you know, she's written her own song. She's singing all these songs. She's out of nowhere. We're like, what the heck? Get her a guitar. Get her in lessons. Get her in vocals. So I signed her up with, with Mary Barnett, learning how to play get piano and sing and all this kind of stuff. Getting her in lessons with her coach, Steve. Now she, she goes off to college. I'm like, what do you want to study in college? She's like, I want to get a degree in music. And, and the dad who's paying for college goes, can't you do something to make money? That's the dad. How about we, can we get a backup? Like, you know, accounting, you know, make some money too and, you know, something. But the reality is, she's like, dad, I want to, I want to make music and I want to be a worship leader and I want to write songs. I'm like, okay, songwriters make me, they make money. Songwriters make money. I mean, now we're talking because the dad, come on, the dad's got to think about that, right? Because the number one job of the dad is to get them off your payroll at some point in time. That's, that's, that's the thing. Just, just get off my payroll at some point, you know, in a good way, in a healthy way, right? But, but I'm like, okay. She's like, my dream is to lead worship. I'm like, I will do anything in my power to help that dream come true. Now, the reality is, and here's the next thing that I need you to understand, that a parent's job is to open the door, see the potential, speak the potential, and then open the door. Now, watch this. I want to I read you something from my journal. This is from my prayer journal. Um, on August 15th, I was asking the Lord about this series and specifically about what he wanted you to learn and receive from this. And this is what he said to me. He said, godly parents 
open doors. They infuse with knowledge, invest for future, require character, empower with confidence and identity. They champion and open doors that are best for them at just the right time. Any door I can open for my kids, I'm going to open. But it's got to be the right door at the right time. Right door at the right time. And and she's going to go off to school and she may come back one day and she may want to be on this stage. And my thing is, you better be good. Josh is going to interview Josh. Anybody that gets up on this, you better be good. Can't have people up here singing like sick cows and stuff, you know, for crying out loud, man, cow disease up, up in here, just calling that worship. Uh-uh, you better be good, girl. You want to get on this stage, you better be good. So you better focus in. You better make these goals. Who knows what God has for her? But the reality is I, I'm not going to open. How many people have destroyed their business by putting someone in based on nepotism? not based on the quality and the character and the abilities that were inside of them, right? It's got to be the right door. It's got to be the right time. But parents are called to open doors, to elevate, to promote. So the next thing he said to me, he said, teach my families to value my kingdom more than anything else. Seek first my kingdom and my right standing or righteousness. Make my house their number one priority and I will prioritize their house as mine. That's what the Lord said to me. God's house. See, we can get it backwards sometimes. We're really focused on our house and whenever we can fit it in, it's convenient, then God's house. God's like, if you'll prioritize my house, I'll prioritize your house. That's a powerful truth. Powerful truth. I want to raise kids that recognize that the house of God, the work of of Jesus Christ through the vehicle that Jesus chose, Jesus chose the church, the ecclesia, the called out people of God that come together in unity and work together. He chose that as the vehicle of his work in the earth. It's the greatest vehicle that's accomplished more in the earth for good than any other thing that's ever existed, the church of Jesus Christ. Is it flawed? Yes, because we're here and we're flawed. But is it still the best option for the world? Yes, absolutely. The best option for the world is the church of Jesus Christ filled with the love of Jesus, releasing the love of Jesus, being the example for the community, taking a stand and being the leaders in the community. You don't like what's going on with our government? Step up and be a leader as the church of Jesus Christ. Run for office, be on a committee, be on a board, do something in the city. Don't sit back and complain, pray, hear God and get in action. Be a leader, every believer, a leader. Look at how Mary opened the door. I love this story. John chapter two, verse one. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding and when they had run out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Now it's interesting that she would come to Jesus as if it were his fault. Jesus shows up with a bunch of sailors Tax collectors, fishermen, and all of a sudden the wine's all gone. It's supposed to be a seven-day party, and on day three they're out of wine, and Mary is blaming Jesus. 
She's like, look, you brought all these hooligans with you, you know, your youth group over here, drinking up all the wine, and, and what's going on here? I, obviously, this isn't the Bible. I'm just having a little fun right now, okay? Uh, but they have no wine. Now, watch what Jesus says. Woman, I do not recommend that ever. If you're God in the flesh, you can call your mother woman. And that's it. And anybody else can get smacked. Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, I love Mary's response. I imagine this Jewish mafia mom with a little smirk, a little eye roll. It literally says she turns and looks at the servants, doesn't even acknowledge what Jesus just said, turns and looks at the servants and says, whatever he says to you, do it, and then walks out of the room. And I can imagine Jesus like, mom, right? I mean, what? fine, fine, fine. Water pots, get them, right? Fill them up, fine. You know, I, who knows? I, I mean, obviously he, was, he honored his mother. But I mean, that's a beautiful picture. Jesus at 12, feeling himself, obeys his parents, goes home, submits to them. God blesses. Jesus at 30, honors his mother, bites his lip and obeys her. And all of a sudden the miracle happens because Mary knew what was best and Mary knew what time it was. Mary opened the door for Jesus's miracle ministry. Come on, you better be a praying mom, right? You better be a praying mom. You have no idea how much power you have as a praying mom, a praying dad, a praying grandparent, a praying boss, a praying manager. How much time do you put in praying for the people in your life, praying that God shows you what to do, what to say? There's lots of situations in life where we don't know what to do and we don't know what to say. And that's why you were given the Holy Spirit, a divine advantage, a supernatural advantage in your life to pray in the Spirit, to hear from the Holy Spirit, to have answers that you didn't have before because of the gift of the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Same thing happened with Rebecca. Remember Rebecca, Jacob and Esau. She's watched her whole life. She treasured that thing in her heart. She's waiting for the moment. All of a sudden, she sees her husband. Isaac is now old. He's blind. He can't see anymore. And he's about to die. And he calls for Esau, the older one, the hairy one, the one that smells like the outdoors. Have you ever smelled your kids when they come in from the outdoors? That is not a flattering thing, right? You smell like the out. Jennifer, if I walk to the mailbox and back, she's like, you need a bath, right? You smell like the outdoors, right? You know, we prefer to smell like the indoors at our house. That's a better smell. But he smells like the outdoors and, and he's hairy and he's now going on a hunting trip because his father says, go kill this game. Make me a delicious meal. I'm going to give you the blessing of the firstborn. But Rebecca had heard from God years earlier and knew that her husband was about to make a mistake because God had said, the older will serve the younger. And if I let my husband make this mistake, it's going to mess up God's plans. So she goes to her son and says, listen, do what I say and do it right now. Go kill a goat, bring it to me. I'll make the, I'll make the food. Uh, you're going to go in, you're going to take this and you're going to get your dad's blessing. He says, mom, listen, he's hairy. He smells like the outdoors. Dad may be blind, but I'm not going to be able to fool him. And, and when I don't fool him, he'll put a curse on me. And Rebecca, the mom says, first of all, 
You're going to go and take your brother's clothes. You're going to put them on. You're going to take the skin of the goat and put it on your arms and your hands and behind the nape of your neck. How hairy are you if a goat's skin feels like your skin? That is, none of y'all have seen a hairy man like this hairy man. I'm talking Sasquatch, Yeti level hairy man. That's what this guy is, all right? Did I say it wrong? Sasquatch, sorry. Sasquatch. Spend time up north. So he goes and he does it. Sure enough, he, uh, his dad, Isaac, feels his head. He says, your voice is like Jacob's, but uh, your body, he feels like my son, and I smell the outdoors. And so he releases the blessing. Listen to this blessing. Listen to the power of a blessing from a parent. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's riches an abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. If it wasn't for a mom who knew what time it was, who was willing to open the door at the risk of receiving a curse on herself, but she knew what God said. She knew what was best. She says, this is the door. I'm opening it now. You've got to trust me. You've got to obey me. This is the door right now, right here. This is the moment. And if she hadn't have had the courage, the blessing would have gone to the wrong son and God's plan would have been messed up. Now, here's how serious it was. Esau shows up a few minutes later, you know, cooks the meal, brings it in. And his dad says, who are you? He says, I'm Esau, I'm your son. His dad says, well, who was the one that was just here? And Esau instantly knew, it's my brother, that sucker, he stole my blessing. He stole my blessing. And he's like, give me a blessing. Father, surely you have another blessing. And Isaac said, no, I don't. I gave your brother the firstborn's blessing. I don't have another. In fact, here's what I have for you. And he released a word over Esau that was a subservient word. He would still be fine. He would still be a nation. He would still be whatever, but he would serve under his brother for his entire life and never, and one day he'll break free from the yoke of it and he'll be free. But this is his position now. And so Esau wanted to kill his brother. He vowed to kill his brother for, for years because of that. But it was God's will. It was God's plan. And it was, the, it was in their culture, the, the blessing of the father to the firstborn was huge. It was massive. And the truth of the matter is, y'all, we don't, we don't take seriously enough the power of the blessing that we possess as people made in the image of God. It's so powerful that Jesus told his disciples, whoever you forgive will be forgiven, but whoever sins you retain, their sins will be retained. Are you kidding me? You have the ability, a disciple of Jesus, an apostle of Jesus, a leader of Jesus has the ability to release the forgiveness of God on people or not. That's unbelievable. It's crazy to think, but that's what Jesus said. The power of life and death is in your tongue. And we need to take serious what we say, what we speak over the people that God has called us to lead, our children, our employees, our team members, our friends. We need to take it serious what we declare, what we speak over. Because the power of life and death is in your tongue and you're called to lead. Every believer, a leader. 
Amen? Amen. Amen. Let me pray for you today. Father, I thank you for your goodness and for your mercy. I thank you for your love. God, would you call us into leadership as the people of God? Would you call us to be great examples, to see the potential, to call it out, and to be always looking to open doors for other people? Father, not not consumed with our own agendas, but looking for what's best for your kingdom, to seek your kingdom and your righteousness, to prioritize your house in Jesus' name. Father, if there's any area of our life where we're not being the example, Father, convict our hearts and give us the discipline to change, to be a better example for the people we're leading. God, if there's any area of our life where we see the critical thing more than the potential thing, and we speak to the critical thing more than the potential thing, Father, would you convict our hearts and help us to change, to see the greatness and to call it out. That doesn't mean we don't correct when necessary, but we see the greatness, we see the potential, and we speak to it at every moment we can. And Father, give us the power at the right time, the right place to open the right door for the people that you've called us to lead in Jesus' name. Father, if there's anybody here that's either watching online or you're listening uh, right here in this room and you know that you need to get right with God, this is your moment right here, right now. This is your moment right here. Do not leave this room. Do not turn off the podcast or the stream without praying this prayer, making this decision. You are not promised tomorrow. Life is too short. Don't leave this place without getting right with God. If that's you, you know, I need to get right. I've got some things I gotta get right. I need to repent. I need to say sorry. I need to make sure that I'm in right standing with God. If that's you, all across this room and online, we're gonna pray this prayer together. Everyone pray this prayer with me. Simply say this, Father, I need your help. I put my faith in you. I put my trust in you. I repent for my failures, for my sin. I ask you to forgive me. I put my faith in Jesus. He rose from the dead. And I make him my savior. And I give my life to him. In Jesus' name, I am saved. Amen. Amen. Now, real quick, before we're dismissed, I want to give you just a quick opportunity. And the opportunity is to acknowledge that decision publicly to acknowledge Jesus publicly, and here's why. Jesus said, if you deny me in front of people, I have to deny you in front of my Father. Nobody wants that. But then he said, but if you acknowledge me in front of people, I will acknowledge you in front of my Father in heaven. In this moment right here, heaven is celebrating. Heaven is celebrating because one person said, I'm gonna get right with God today. Heaven is celebrating. Would you let us celebrate too? And be bold enough to say, Joel, I prayed that prayer. I made a decision for Jesus. Anywhere in the room, when I count to three, be the boldest person in the room. Acknowledge Jesus. Let him acknowledge you in heaven. Ready? One, two, three, go. Be bold. Anybody? There's one right back there. God bless you. That's awesome. Another one right over there. That's awesome. Anybody else? Anybody else? That's great. That's awesome. Praise God. If you're with us online and you prayed that prayer, 
you're with us online and you prayed that prayer, shoot us a message, uh, info at oakschurch.com or put down in the uh, chat section that you made a decision. We want to give you a gift, uh, help you get a Bible to you if you need one. Anything we can do, we want to help you. And for those of you that made that decision today, on your way out, if you would just stop by um, the front desk, um, we got a Bible for you if you need one. We want to help you, want to pray with you, um, help you take your next steps as well. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much. Travis is going to walk us through the next couple things and we'll be dismissed. Thank you. Don't miss next week.